keys, tackle box in my hand Gonna cast a few lines with my toes in the sand Pulling in a big catch makes me feel like a man But the wife, she just don't understand I love walleye, perch, trout and bass And if you don't like fishing, you can kiss my four-stroke right in the back Cause the fishes all tremble at the thought of me When I'm fishing for butt in country we are kicking off the week with a great conversation. Travis Peterson stops in to talk about his recent mano a mano bass tournament victory, and there is just so much more we cover. Plus, a great question for the aquatic biologist. It's all coming up. Welcome to Fish and Paul Bunyan Country, sponsored by Visit Bemidji. Today, a chance to talk with one of our good friends, Travis Peterson. It's always great to have Travis stop by. Travis, thanks for taking the time today. You bet, Kevin. Thanks for having me. Well, we wanted to talk to you uh, because we always get good information from you, first of all. But secondly, uh, you just uh, won a very interesting tournament, um, a solo bass tournament. Uh, most tournaments are team tournaments. This uh, this was a little bit different. Yeah, yeah, it is a different uh, format that I actually had not fished before. Uh, very familiar with it because it's it's put on by the same people that that put on the MT3 uh, Minnesota Tournament Trail circuit that that we've fished, uh, you know, for years. And um, they also have another division, actually a separate series of tournaments that they call Head to Head. And in those events, you fish solo, and, uh, you know, it's everything else is the same. Eight-hour day, uh, you're fishing for the five biggest bass that you can, that you can catch. And uh, they were on Cass Lake last weekend, and I, uh, being that close to home, I decided to jump in. So it's just you and the boat yourself? Yeah, you're all by yourself, and uh, you try to, try to get the five biggest bass that you can. And it's, um, you know, it's interesting fishing, fishing by yourself. I fish by myself. You know, now and then, but uh, eight hours in the boat by yourself, that's a lot of thinking time, And um, but it's fun. It's pretty peaceful. So is this a weigh-in tournament or a catch-photo-release tournament? It's a weigh-in tournament, yeah. We, we keep our fish alive. Um, you know, the boats are, are very well equipped with um, oxygen or aerated live wells, and and we basically nowadays people, you know, put fish in their live well. They, in tournament situations, we keep our live wells on non-stop throughout the day and um have very very good survival rates you know the fish actually at the end of the day are you know we we go to get them out of our live well to weigh them in and a lot of times they're almost harder to catch then you know (laughs) when they're in the lake they're they're juiced up on you know fresh fresh oxygen that you know you're pumping in there and and they're uh they're alive and well and um so yeah that works so it's uh, it, it's it's a little more of a chess match in that you have to decide what you're keeping and what you're going to put back. Yeah, we're allowed to uh, we're allowed to upgrade throughout the day. Okay, um, and and part of the reason we're able to do that is the the limit is five when and the state limit you know the state limit allows you six. So you're actually allowed to upgrade as the day goes on. You know within the Minnesota rules because you have never you've never reduced your limit to six. You know, and that's that's the way that uh, the way that that works. Okay. So you can keep fishing as the day goes on and and, and upgrade. Okay, so you're out there uh, uh, on Cass Lake uh, fishing all by yourself, and you hauled in a nice basket of bass. Yeah, I, I had a really good day. Um, I weighed in twenty exactly twenty and a half pounds, and I basically had a four and a half pounder and. And four four pounders, you know, to go to go with them, and probably caught 
20 bass, I suppose, throughout the day to to get to that. Um, and that was, you know, barely enough to win. There was really nice catches. I think second place was just under 20 pounds, I think 19, 15. So a lot of nice fish in the cast chain. Wow. And, you know, that's the that's the thing. A lot of people, you know, they think of cast as a walleye and muskie lake not realizing there's bass there, but I've heard for years that there's good bass on Cass and in the chain. Yeah, it's such a neat chain of lakes. You know, I think there's eight connected lakes um, included, you know, when you you add Pike Bay and, you know, you can get up the river, up the Mississippi River into Andrusia. You can get further up the river to Wolf. You can actually go further up the river. Um, There's another small lake between Wolf and the Power Dam. Um, Otherwise, you can go north you know, off the north end of Cass, up the Turtle River into Kitchy, and then you can go further up into Little Rice and Big Rice. So there's a number of lakes. You've got Buck Lake that's kind of a, a bay off of off of Cass, and, you know, Cass itself has got some different portions to it, Allen's Bay. So, you know, there was 35 boats, uh, and I think I saw, really only saw a couple boats even near me all day, so that really spreads everybody out, and, and uh, you know, largemouth are good at finding the crooks and crannies, and, and um, you know, they they find, the, they like this, on that system, they like the shallow water, and, and there's a lot of shoreline on, on the cast chain when you include uh, all the all the bays and, and connected waterways. How many uh, were you allowed? I mean, if you could get there, you could fish it? Was that the rule? Yeah, yep, yep. The, the rule allows you to, you know, um, fish any any waters you can reach without getting out of your boat um so we will idle you know sometimes through slow zones you know up rivers um sometimes across shallow water maybe even with a trolling motor to get back into you know some backwater bays and and things like that okay and uh where were you fishing where did you find your uh your your winning basket i was up in yep i was up in the shallow water i was in the north of north of Cass Lake up in the Turtle Chain, which includes Kitchy and the Rice Lakes. I was up in those lakes. Um, they tend to have not a lot of fish, um, but the average size seems to be maybe a little bit better up there, and, you know, you can you can strike out. Um, but I, you know, rolled the dice, and I was able to get a limit pretty quickly and just kind of settle down and, and then just uh, kept my nose down and was able to pick off a, a big one every now and then. Um, I think I caught my last four pounder at about one o'clock and, um, I, you know, I, then I knew I had a, you know, I had a really, really nice catch and figured I would finish pretty well, but I was fishing shallow water, um, 100% in three feet of water, four feet of water at the most, um, or, or shallower and all in heavy cover, um, you know, emergent vegetation to include full rushes, lily pads, dollar pads, some other junk weed that's, you know, I, I'm not even sure what it is. Just a mix of, of thick vegetation and, um, you know, the water's warm on our lakes right now, but uh, largemouth are warm water fish and they can tolerate, they can tolerate that warm water, unlike some, you know, some of the other fish like walleyes. What did they want to bite on? You know, I caught them all on uh, a topwater frog that um, is something that actually Northland Tackle is in the works uh they're they're um in the design phases um of of a topwater frog that that we're pretty excited about um 
you won't hear that anywhere else except on Fish and Paul Bunyan Country, though. <laughs> it's uh, it's in the development phases, and nice. we're pretty excited about it. It's something that we've you know we've done a lot of over the years, and uh, kind of thinking that since we're you know so into that style of fishing that we should maybe be entering that market, and that could come to fruition in the next uh, oh in the near future. I I'll, I'll just leave it at that. Okay. A top a topwater frog is just a hollow hollow bodied frog with um with a a double hook that that kind of cradles the bait and uh, therefore it's weedless until the you know and the fish actually come up and and inhale the the bait right off the surface and and when they do the because of the hollow nature of the of the bait and it's soft it'll collapse and and you uh, can get a good hook set into them and. And uh, it's a technique that requires heavy gear. We use, you know, seven and a half foot heavy rods and and fifty to sixty five pound braided line, and it's a wrestling match to get them out of the heavy cover. But um, with with today's rods and reels and line, uh, you can definitely um, have a pretty high rate of of hookup and land ratio. I think the reason a lot of people get into bass fishing is because of the topwater bite and the excitement of it. So when you can win a tournament using topwater, that's like, that's the best of all worlds. It really is. You know, there's people that, you know, fish fish bass, and, and like you said, almost, you know, because of, because the of topwater bite is so fun, a lot of them fish almost exclusively with, with topwaters. And we, we found that it's fun. It's not only fun, but it also catches big fish. Um, for some reason, uh, topwater baits tend to catch a, you know, a good average size of fish and, you know, and it's a like you said, it's a fun way to fish. It's it's visual. Um, you know, I was talking to uh, some of the guys over at Northland uh, the other day, and we were we were talking about frog fishing, and and you know, high school fishing and college fishing has become so big. And you know, in our part of the country, I I would uh, venture to to guess that almost a hundred percent of every high school kid and and college kid that takes to the water. Um, you know, up in this part of the country has a frog tied on pretty much all the time. And, and, uh, I guess that speaks to the, the popularity of it. It's, it's just a, it's a fun way to fish. And, you know, I, I think, um, some people would rather catch one on a top water bait than three or four on a subsurface bait. It's just that much fun. Well, you were, you were fishing in the rain and I got to think, uh, nobody dared complain about that. And that's <laughs> <laughs> we needed that exactly no yeah we've needed rain for you know because our um ground is so dry and our lakes are lake levels are dropping and it was a rainy day but it was just a drizzle and it it, it never never stopped but it never rained hard so it was actually pretty comfortable after some of the heat we've had and, and the lack of rain it was it was definitely welcomed so it was actually a beautiful day the uh overcast days tend to be great largemouth fishing days and um, kind of the opposite of smallmouth. We like sun on when we're targeting smallmouth, but largemouth, uh, especially you know a topwater bite. If you can get a calm, overcast day, it usually lends itself to uh, better you know better largemouth fishing. Well, obviously, I, I just have to look at my yard to see some of the effects of not having enough rain. How significant has the lack of rain been to the water levels right now? You know, it really varies from from lake to lake. It's interesting. Um, if you look, you know, on the Mississippi River below the power dam, you know, east of Bemidji, it's very low. The, you know, the the river below the power dam to Wolf Lake um, is a stretch that, you know, 
people like to tube in the summer and I've I haven't done it this summer but I've heard that it's you know the the trip from just the power dam to Roosevelt which is the popular floating trip you know typically takes two hours and it's you know taking four hours now and people are having to walk a lot of that because uh, their butts are dragging <laughs> on the bottom of the river so it's something that um, you know it's it's very you know I live on a small lake east of town and our water level hasn't come down that much there um, you know Lake Bemidji is low but not as low as it is below the dam um, Turtle River Lake is a lake that the boys were on uh, and my son Jason and my nephew Charlie were on a couple weeks ago for the Northwoods League and they said that you know it's very low over there they were a lot of the places that they typically catch bass were were was dry land you know this this summer already mm. so um it definitely varies from from lake to lake that's for sure the fish adjust um sometimes there's a reduced amount of shallow cover you know you, you don't have as much water flooding up into that area that has that emergent vegetation the lily pads and the bulrushes so sometimes that that band of shallow cover around the perimeter of the lake gets reduced and actually sometimes what they found out that evening is it actually made the fishing a little bit easier because the fish were they're right positioned right on that outside that deepest uh, vegetation and, and it was actually a uh, it actually made the fishing a little bit easier it actually concentrated the fish a little bit but i guess what i was going to say is the fish seem to adjust as long as there's water in the lake i think the you know the biggest thing is going to be oxygen levels when you get you know a real real hot summer and it's been um it's, i mean it's been a good thing that we've gotten a little bit of rain and a little bit of wind and you know that total heat wave that we had um severe heat wave is over we don't need any more of that as far <laughs> as you know keeping our oxygen levels up on the lakes that's for sure speaking of uh, charlie and jace they were they were fishing lake bemidji yesterday or the bemidji chain yeah, they fished a team tournament. Um, the same people that put on the the head-to-head tournament that I fished, um, we t- we we try to do you know a number of their tournaments a year. Um, and their team site is called the MT3 Circuit uh, Minnesota Team Tournament Trail. And they came to Lake Bemidji yesterday, and Jason Charlie teamed up for that one. There was only a dozen boats, I believe, but the the fishing was very good. Uh, they finished fourth with. One and a half pounds. Now that's a six fish limit, and I think there was two two teams over twenty one pounds, and then another team over twenty pounds. So I think the average size was over three pounds, you know, per bass on the, wow. the Bemidji chain, which is pretty impressive. I mean, Leech Lake isn't um, isn't producing that average anymore, and and uh, Lake Bemidji is. So it's it's pretty impressive. You know, Lake, lake Bemidji is not a great bass lake by any means, but. The average size is nice, and and the uh, a lot of the guys travel to the connecting waters. Um, they either go down the Mississippi to Stump Lake and in in the river itself between Bemidji and Stump. Um, that's a you know that's an adventure in itself. That's a 45 minute slow zone, so it's a gamble to go. You know you lose fishing time if you want to travel all the way down there and back. And then the other option is to go upstream you know into lake irving and, and further into car and, and marquette so um when you take in those those waters there's a lot of a lot of fishable water and those lakes have have a nice average size of bass for sure i heard many many years ago a, a guy that would uh, go out there in his waders in the uh in the shallow weeded areas of lake bemidji and he'd catch bass on a regular basis so yeah they've been there a while 
Yeah, they've been there a while. Um, I, I'm positive that I fished the first ever bass tournament on Lake Bemidji, which was in 1986, uh, the Bemidji Bass Club, which was affiliated with the you know, Minnesota um, Bass Federation, had a, had a club at that time with at least 30 members, and we would fish. We would draw for partners and fish, uh, you know, about five tournaments a summer in the Bemidji area. I was 16 years old at the time, and and I uh, drew Mark Newell, who um, is a great great walleye fisherman, multi-species fisherman. He was younger than me at the time. Um, somehow his dad let us, you know, let us run his bass boat, and we went down to Stump Lake. Back then, there was no slow zone, and we were able to, you know, run that on plane, and, and most everybody went down there back in those days, and, and we had caught nice fish, but... There hasn't been many tournaments over the years on on the Bemidji chain. You know, the obviously the um, national college tournament was there a few years ago and and uh, was a success. But um, it's got its little bass niches, and it's uh, it's pretty pretty nice to have pretty pretty neat little bass uh, kind of little unknown bass resource in the Bemidji area actually. Much more to come with Travis Peterson later in the show. He already gave us some great Northland tackle news. He's going to give us some Lumberjack basketball news in the second segment. But up next, we've got another tough question for the aquatic biologist. This is Fish and Paul Bunyan Country. Hi, this is Dick Beardsley with Dick Beardsley Fishing Guide Service. Are you looking to plan a fishing trip? Look no further as Bemidji, Minnesota is your year-round destination for walleyes, pike, muskie, bass, perch, crappie, panfish, and more. With over 400 fishing lakes within the 25-mile radius of Bemidji, come take a cast of becoming a fishing legend. While you're on your fishing adventure, come take a picture with the historic Paul Bunyan and Babe the Blue Ox. Discover the first city on the Mississippi... Bemidji, one step further. Ask the aquatic biologist. Time to ask the aquatic biologist, Dr. Andrew Hafes of Bemidji State University once again. That darn Alicia's got another tough question for you. (laughs) Um, Question, I'll just throw it out there. What areas of aquatic biology are still relatively unknown and looked over in terms of research? Well, yeah, this is a tough question, asking about the unknown, huh? Uh, (laughs) I think a few years back, we probably talked about what were some of the greatest concerns that we had. And I mentioned things like water shortage and disease, right? And uh, so I would still think that um, water shortages in the future are going to be a pretty big deal. Like how, as the human population grows, several of the things that we're going to have to deal with, and we're dealing with one of them right now, is the disease, right? That As a biologist, you could see that kind of happening, that that was going to happen with this COVID outbreak eventually. And so how we deal with that other one and how that's tied to aquatic ecosystems is going to be fairly important. Are we able to figure out how to use to use the water from the oceans in a, a manner that's um, cost-effective, you know, or, or not? Or are we going to start tapping into the Great Lakes and other resources? Because the human population is not going to stop growing anytime soon, in my opinion, right? We're you know, over 7 billion, and it's going up pretty rapidly. So that's a big issue is water shortages – and how that influences fish communities moving forward. Not even fish communities, just aquatic ecosystems moving forward. The other things, uh, another massive one then, is the the climate change and how 
that the changing environment is going to influence those. I mean, that has been researched a lot, but there's still so much uncertainty with it and how that's going to change these ecosystems that I think we need to do a lot more. And then the third one I guess I would think think about would be genetics. Um, I've always been really – I'm not strong in the genetics field, right? I'm not a geneticist, but I've always been really, really intrigued with it because I think it has great potential uh, to – allow us to understand things much better than we do right now. And so I hope that there's a huge advancement in how fish biologists used genetics uh, moving forward. I think it's, uh, you know, we don't think about it. I mean, when you live in the land of 10,000 lakes, you, you, you don't think about it. But water is um, a lot like, uh, like bird populations in that they go f- across borders. They have no, they don't care what state or what country it's in. They're just flowing. But um, I know there's been plenty. I don't know if there's been any actual wars started over water, but I know there's been a lot of disputes from nation to nation. There's been lawsuits from state to state on water situations. For sure. And, you know, out west they had to deal with this a lot more than we have. But Mm -hmm. the the water shortage and the climate change are really closely tied in my mind because if – it doesn't take large changes in snowfall amounts and rainfall patterns to change the flows of rivers and how much water there is in lakes. And so if we have substantial changes in the amount of rainfall or even the intensity of those events, like you, we saw one in Duluth a few years back, right, that blew out all the bridges and things like that, if those types of events are more common and our rainfall is less distributed evenly throughout the year, that has huge influences on aquatic ecosystems. So yeah, that that of course, again, that's uh, that is futures always. You're looking to something you just have no clue what's going to happen. Right. I, I just thought of one more too that sure. is really interesting to me, and that's the total number of anglers, right? And how do people moving forward decide that fishing is still fun and they want to do that, or do our angler numbers dwindle, or do they go through the roof because? Uh, the population size grows. and So I don't have a really good handle on that, but I think that anglers do have a huge role in these ecosystems. And if the numbers change substantially, that's an unknown for me, is what right. it looks like, what, what it's going to look like 100 years from now in terms of how many anglers there are and what that looks like. Okay. So I was just a bonehead mass comm major at Bemidji State, but it sounds... <laughs> bonehead? <laughs> That's well, an excellent program. Uh, it, it is. It is. For, but, I mean, there's no ology. I'm not an ologist of any sort. I'm not an ologist. But it seems to me when we're talking about things like this, we're talking about aquatic biology. We're talking about sociology. We're talking about anthropology. There's a lot of ologies involved in, in these future guesses. Yeah, they're really tied together, right? Uh, and so hopefully we have quality scientists and knowledgeable people working on this from all fields. And they're not just working individually. They're working together. For sure. Mm-hmm. So, and I know that at BSU, the and through the American Fisheries Society, uh, which our curriculum follows their certification, they require a lot of courses in human dimensions and other things like that. And so they, and communications. So, you know, scientists, and you probably notice that with me on the show, they're not oftentimes the greatest at communicating. I get pretty <laughs> nervous when we're doing this, right? But it, it is very valued and it's important that we can communicate and understand the sciences across. Mm-hmm. disciplines. Well, and uh, we could go on f- for hours on this topic, I'm sure, but you know, we've also seen you, you mentioned fish populations and and how it affects. We've seen 
um, commercial fishing get so effective that there's been some real serious issues with con- commercial angling out in the ocean? Yeah, historically, um, for sure, there's been collapses of giant fisheries out there that people thought was impossible, right? So um, I guess on a local scale, what I would compare that to is the wheelhouse uh, movement that's happened and how that has changed fishing dynamics in Minnesota. And that's going to be, that is interesting to watch and and how the biologists handle that and can they quantify things correctly and all that. It's very interesting to me. Well, we, yeah, there's a lot of moving parts, and, you know, we've seen the, the limits on some lakes change year to year based on how hard that water gets hit over the winter. So. Right. That's an interesting point, too. You know, sometimes it seems like the, the DNR is limited on how many lakes can have special regulations and things like that, when really uh, the biologists know these systems very well, and it would be nice if they could manage on a finer scale than, you know, maybe just the region, but... I also understand the flip side where we don't want the regulations that complicated too. So, uh, but a lot of times that's probably what need is needed is a lake by lake based management system. Well, good luck getting that one through. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. So, <laughs> oh, there's my pitch. Okay, we can put a sign up at the launches. The anglers can handle it, right? That's right. That's right. With with uh, you know with my your smartphone. That's right. Just right. type in the lake; it'll tell you. Right. Very easy. Dr. Andrew Hafes is an aquatic biologist at Bemidji State University. Andy, thanks for your time today. Thank you. You're listening to Fish and Paul Bunyan Country, sponsored by Visit Bemidji. We're checking back in with Travis Peterson. Travis, prior to uh, that head-to-head tournament, how often have you fished alone? I haven't fished a, a circuit alone before. I have fished a pro-am format. Many years ago, I, you know, I fished a uh, Minnesota Pro-Am circuit, which was sponsored at the time by the Minnesota State Lottery and then by Gander Mountain. And those were 100 boat tournaments um, around the states. And we fished, you know, all the way down to Red Wing, Lake Minnetonka, up to Rainy Lake. And I fished that for a few years. And that was a Pro-Am format where I would, you know, I fished the pro side, basically you're, you're putting more money in the pot and you're bringing your boat and, and you would draw a co-angler um, and you would actually fish together as a team for the day with someone that you may not have known prior to, you know, the, the evening before. And so that was an interesting format and got to lo- know a lot of, a lot of people through that. And um, so that's even a, you know, that's a third format. We've got, you know, team tournaments, we've got um, solo tournaments, We've got, there's also tournaments where you draw for a partner and you sharing a boat, but you're actually competing against each other. And <laughs> that was the, you know, that's the situation that our bass club um, fished under. And then you would oftentimes, you know, if two guys, if both guys were adamant that they knew where and how to catch them, it would come down to a coin flip. And whoever won the coin flip got to pick, you know, if he was going to have control of the boat the first four hours or the last four hours, and, and that's the way it went. But you also adjusted on the fly. If the, you know, if the first guy brought you to a, you know, some good fishing, you, you might cancel your, your <laughs> afternoon plan and stick with his plan. So, yeah, there's, there's a number of tournament formats that you know, have uh, evolved over the years. What's it like to be in a boat all day by yourself? You know, I, I like it. Um, I'm a... Uh, you know, I, I fish by myself periodically, but it's it's usually um, a few hours in the evening or 
or in the early morning, maybe by myself. But uh, you know, a full day, um, it it uh, it can go by. Um, in this case, it went by pretty quickly because I was catching fish. <laughs> I think it could be a long day if you weren't, um, and you might uh, you don't have anybody to bounce ideas off of, or you know, strategy or game plan. You it's all on you. But I like it. I like the that quiet time and and uh, thinking time, and um, it's definitely definitely something that I that I enjoy. I'll, I'll probably do uh, I'll probably do some more of those in the future. Okay, what's next for you? Uh, let's see. Our next event, I believe, is on Woman Lake. That'll be in uh, that'll be on the 18th of July, I believe. I think we've got a little break now, and that'll be a, another team event that Jason and I will be fishing. So we've got a little little break here between now and then. Okay. Well, um, before we wrap it up, you know, we ought to talk a little basketball. And uh, you actually, uh, well, you were a longtime uh, boys assistant coach and a longtime boys head coach. And then last year were the boys varsity assistant. And now you're you're sliding over to the girls' side. Yeah, yeah. I had an opportunity to to jump over to the girls' side. They had an opening in their coaching staff, and and I applied and gave it some thought and and was able to uh, to make the shift. So um, it's been fun so far. I've you know, we we're a few weeks into our summer program already, and it's been fun uh, working working with the girls. You know, I've got a daughter that is uh, going to be a junior, and um, having two older brothers, you know, ahead of her, I I've coached them a little bit more than than her um, and her, you know, friends. And but it's been fun to uh, get in the gym with the girls and and. Um, they girls basketball is definitely you know girls in general are different they they seem uh, quite coachable you know they just um, they really want to be coached and and they're happy and not that not that boys aren't but I think uh, girls really soak soak up the coaching and it's been it's been fun so we've been in the gym a couple mornings a week um, working on skills and and then uh, playing in a few games and uh, here and there and tomorrow we're at Alexandria for a tournament so. It'll be a new challenge, but looking forward to it. Um, if we're going out fishing this weekend, what should we be doing? Well, I'll tell you what I'm going to be doing. I'm going to be bass fishing. Yeah. Um, but, the, you know, the what I like to do as far as the bass is start shallow. Uh, we have a, a time period now where there's still a number of bass shallow in a lot of lakes. Um, some of those same lakes also have fish that have moved off, you know, to the, to the deeper, cooler water. Um, but I like to start shallow and you know, work my way towards the deeper fish or towards the deeper water. I always figure the sh- the shoreline provides an edge that the fish can't, you know, they're not going to be on dry land. So you've got a barrier there. They can't escape you <laughs> any shallower. So I start there and, and uh, see if there's action there and, and move my way out. But with this heat and, and sun and, and temperatures now, um, with the water temperatures, the fish are going to be, you know, around cover, and, and we have plenty of it now with uh the vegetation that has developed in turn you know in the form of lily pads and bulrushes and and uh just you know bass really they'll they'll take up residence on any vegetation that provides a little cover so i'm really looking for for that when i'm shallow and um if i'm not having much action i'll i'll slide out a little bit deeper and a little bit deeper until i connect and you know i've i've been on lakes where most of the fish seem to have left the shallows now um again it kind of depends on the, the body of water that you're on um and that's that's sometimes a good thing because it concentrates them out on those weed lines and 
and then I'm looking for cabbage weeds um, that are growing in 8 to 10, 11 feet, and you can visually see those. Um, our lakes are so clear that you can you can motor around and actually look look for those cabbage beds, and, and there's going to be bass in them. And, uh, and a little bit deeper than the cabbage, you'll find coontail weeds, and, and bass love coontail weeds as the summer goes on. They're a little slower to develop than the cabbage weeds and you know provide enough cover but i i think at this you know we're, we're approaching the time now where a lot of those bass are going to set up just outside the the cabbage weeds and and on that green coontail and um that you sometimes can't see until you uh hook it with your with your jig and and pull some up but um that's a they're that's a bass magnet that the coontail so that's what i'm going to be doing as far as bass panfish are pretty much you know, along the same lines as the bass, I start shallow. There's still some really nice bluegills up shallow. They're they're pretty much done spawning now, but there's still some hanging around the shallows. And and uh, it seems like the crappies have have moved out now. They're they're out on the on the flats and and in those cabbage cabbage flats. Uh, walleyes. I haven't I haven't fished walleyes since the KC walleye tournament. Um, I think I would you know I would be looking at a little bit deeper water than i was then you know probably that 10 to 15 foot break and uh i'd be i'd be pulling some leeches uh leeches or crawlers at this time yeah you know one thing about the uh the fish bite this year it's been pretty good across the board um and been pretty steady and and i haven't heard of too much of a drop off for really any of the species at this point yeah it sounds like it's been a strong season from the you know the the reports I've been hearing from friends that fish and just my, you know, my experiences, the, the fishing seems to have been pretty strong so far. And I, you know, I hope it continues. I, I, I think it will. Um, you know, we've got, we've got so many resources in the area that as far as lakes and, you know, bodies of water that if, if end species, so if something's not biting uh, on a certain lake, either switch species or, or switch, you know, switch bodies of water and, and keep moving until you, connect but uh you know the having the having the panfish and the bass gear in mind is, is always a good thing sometimes we set our sights on you know getting a few walleyes for the pan and um boy crappies and bluegills taste just fine too so <laughs> um and sometimes they're not as frustrating and, and a little faster action and they're sure fun when you have you know family come to town or friends come to town i rarely target walleyes when i've you know got company to to entertain um i had friends in town last week and we just had a ball with bluegills and bluegills and and crappies and then uh you know got into a few bass um as well and and they were happy with that and they were satisfied with not taking any walleyes home because we had a lot of a lot of action so he's one of the good guys in the fishing world there's a lot of them but he's definitely one of them travis peterson a good friend of the show travis as always thanks for taking the time and sharing your insights with us thank you kevin Want to remind you, of course, to like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and subscribe to the podcast so you can listen whenever it works for you on Podcast One, on the Pod MN app, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's it for today. I'm Kev Jackson. Thank you for being here with us. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. It's crazy to think that a few weeks ago we were talking about whether or not Tua Tagovailoa should consider retiring. After two concussions and worldwide debates on player safety and NFL culpability, Tua has done nothing but go back to work 
and currently has the Dolphins riding a three-game win streak and one loss behind the division favorite Buffalo Bills. While everyone was yapping about the end of his career, Tua Tagovailoa said he'll decide when it's time. And clearly, he's not ready to hang up the cleats. Hi, this is Chris Howard from the Plugged In with Chris Howard podcast. BetOnline.net is your number one source for betting football and the start of the new basketball season. Find all the latest player developments, team matchups, news podcasts, and in-depth analysis on every game. BetOnline remains your continued source for all your sports wagering information with live betting up to the minute scores for every sp- the fastest and easiest way to check in on all your favorite games and events, including the MLB playoffs, the start of the NHL season, MMA, boxing, and golf. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline, where the game starts.